This is Warning Radio with Dr. Jonathan Hansen, founder and president of World Ministries International, a non-denominational end times ministry dedicated to fulfilling a divine commission to trumpet forth warnings from God concerning the imminent second coming of Christ and the impending judgment of God upon the ungodly. God has sent Dr. Hansen to many nations of the world with a solemn warning to the political and religious leaders and citizenry to repent of their sinfulness and wickedness or face the catastrophic judgments that will soon be unleashed upon the unbelieving world. Listen now to the warnings of our compassionate and merciful Creator conveyed through His faithful prophetic spokesman, the host of Warning Radio, Dr. Jonathan Hansen. This is Dr. Jonathan Hansen. I'm the president of World Ministries International. I want to welcome you to the Warning Radio program. Special guest, Pastor Joe Kirkwood. He has a church in Amarillo, Texas, and I've preached for him there, and we reconnected at an annual conference of the Independent Assemblies. It was a great time in Norman, Oklahoma. Joe, welcome to the Warning Radio program. Well, thank you for having me on the program. It's an honor, and it was a joy to reconnect with you and sharing about all the great things God's doing around the world. I'll tell you, it's always fascinating to get with men or women of God that truly move with the Holy Spirit, and I never get tired of the testimonies that we share one with another. (laughs) Yeah, I'm the same way. I get so excited, and I love hearing about miracles that happen with someone else, and I enjoy sharing about things that I've witnessed, and I call it bragging on God because I can't do any of it, but God is just amazing. (laughs) Yeah. No, I I totally understand. And I've always believed that people need to go to the church where the pastor has testimonies, not Mm -hmm. just reading a story out of the Bible. They can do that at home. But you have to attend a church under a true Issachar, a man or woman that truly moves with the Holy Spirit, and you're supposed to have testimonies. Oh, yeah. These signs follow them that believe. I tell you, we need to have proof today. I mean, the world is vying for the attention, and we need to have the goods. And miracle signs, wonders should be following true believers. And I challenge people because there's a lot of people that are good Christians. I mean, I've known them for years, and they're wonderful people, but they're not exercising their faith to go any farther. Miracles should be a regular part of our life. The supernatural should be natural. That's right. I mean, we should be operating daily and seeing (laughs) the supernatural. I believe that. Yeah. If I go, let's say, 10 days and I haven't seen some miracles, I start having kind of like withdrawals. I'm like, I haven't seen a creative miracle or instant miracle in some days. And I start looking for opportunities because I just love watching God heal people. Blind eyes, deaf ears, crippled legs. I've seen so many different things happen. And I have dreams about others. I've been dreaming lately about amputees. I've seen legs grow. I've seen dwarf arms, but not a whole arm with a hand on it or a whole leg with a foot. I haven't seen that yet, but I'm dreaming about that because that's going to start happening. Oh, yeah. 
We just finished a six-week tour, 25 states, and uh, in Cincinnati, Ohio, a lady crippled up, legs all the way, tucked right back into her body. And 10 minutes, I watched my wife. She moved so powerfully with the Holy Spirit. She's apostolic, prophetic. And commanding mm. those legs, and people were watching them, uh, straighten out, straighten out, straighten out, till they were perfect. <laughs> and let me tell you, mm. uh, that was exciting. Even exciting for me to see that. <laughs> I love that. Oh, yeah. I love that. And Joe, uh, you and I met a couple times. I mean, there were so many people there, and we were talking with so many, each of us, throughout the days. And the last time, you showed me pictures of a trip in Egypt, and you started yes. telling me a little bit about it, and I thought it was yeah. fascinating. I want you to start sharing. And first of all, though, before we go any further, what's the name of the church you pastor? I pastor Cornerstone Ministries in Amarillo, Texas. Of course, we flow out of here. We give away food and clothes to about 27,000 different people a year. We give it to them multiple times, but we give them groceries to take home to cook. And then we have the international and just like you, we travel to many countries. As I think when I saw you the other day, I'd been in seven countries in about six weeks. We're doing crusades and we plant churches and we have orphanages and schools. Just before coming on the program, I got so excited because we've been looking for documents for this big piece of land we owned in Ghana, West Africa, where our school is. And the Muslims were trying to encroach on it and trying to take that land. And we couldn't find the original documents. We had some documents that were there, but these were the documents that had the original chief's thumbprint and the elders. All of them are dead now. We were going through an old safe, and my secretary said, what's this file in? And she pulls it out, and there it was, the maps, all the signatures, the documents, where they were filed with the government there. I'm on cloud nine because that just saved us thousands of dollars because we were going to have to pay a whole bunch of villagers who are alive today that surround the property. We're going to have to give them a fee to sign a new document. Wow. And now we don't. So I'm excited about that. That is exciting. I've been to Accra, Ghana, too. And I'll tell you what, it's exciting for what you're doing over there. Once again, for people listening, name your church in Amarillo. Cornerstone Outreach Ministries of Amarillo, Inc. is the official name. But just Cornerstone Ministries is what everybody knows it by. Okay, ladies and and gentlemen, if you live in that area or if you're going to travel to that area, you need to actually stop by and visit the church. And if you live in that area, I'll tell you what, Joe's a tremendous pastor, moves with the Holy Spirit. I think you would really enjoy the church. Now, Joe, again, you showed me some pictures in Egypt. You started telling me some stories about it, and we ran out of time. I was leaving, but I want you to—you showed me a pyramid. Let's start off with that. Tell me the story of the pyramid. Well, I was there with Dr. Ron Charles, and I spoke to him yesterday on the phone. As a matter of fact, he was just at the Abraham Peace Accords in Paris that President Trump just started. He was there two weeks ago. The Muslim Brotherhood, he's on their hit list and has been for a long time. But he has four doctorate degrees. His work is in the Cairo Museum. He's worked for 41 different universities doing archaeological digs, just to give you a little bit of his credentials. Anyway, they poisoned him and tried to kill him. He was in the hospital. I prayed with him over the phone. They gave him the equivalent of arsenic, but they gave him enough, the doctor said, to kill four men. When he got up from the table, he stood up against the Muslim Brotherhood, wanted to have a seat at the peace talks, and he stood up and said, these people are terrorists. 
They've arrested me. They've beaten me. They've killed people in Egypt. And I'm telling you, they should not be allowed a seat at these peace talks. And so the vote came and they voted that they did not have a seat. Well, then one of them whispered to him, said, you'll not leave here alive. You're a dead man. Wow. They followed him, sent a spy to the restaurant. When he went to the restroom, they poisoned his drink. He tasted something metallic in it, so he didn't drink all of it. You know, God spared his life, but it did some damage to his body. But I prayed with him over the phone. But anyway, let me get to the pyramid. I know we have limited time. He was my guide in Egypt. He spent 20-some years living there in Egypt, in Cairo. And the first thing he told me was that the old city of Cairo, before there was a Cairo, it was in the Bible listed as Babylon. Okay. So when you read anything about Babylon in the Bible, it's talking about Cairo, the okay. old part of Cairo. It was the greatest city, the greatest civilization on earth at that time. Okay. We rode Arabian horses into the Sahara Desert, 26 miles. And this is probably about 15, 20 kilometers from the old Babylon. There is a pyramid. Now, the archaeological world will call it the step pyramid because it's designed, it goes up in increments and has like a little step, like a little road, and then it goes up again and another little road all the way to the top. And it is the oldest known pyramid in the world. It's a little over 5,000 years old, okay? Okay. It was built 300 years after Noah's flood. Wow. Okay. It is, again, not too far from Babylon, okay, because that's significant. Sure. So when they excavated, they found a tablet inside there. The Romans kept impeccable records for thousands of years, and they were all about passing on legacy and all that. That's why they did this. So there was a tablet in there that said that the one who orchestrated the building of it or the overseer of the building of it was a guy named King Dosher, D-O-S-S-I-E-R, Dosher. Okay. King Dosher said on the tablet that he was aware of the flood of Noah. Now, keep in mind, Noah lived 385 years after the flood. So Noah was still around for another 85 years after this thing was built. Wow. It's possible he could have met Noah. I mean, honestly. Sure. But at least he said on the tablet that he was aware of the flood of Noah and that he was going to build a tower so high that God could not destroy humanity again. My, my. Kind of sounds like defiance against God. Sheer arrogancy. <laughs> now, this step pyramid, I showed you what the remains, there's about a third of it above ground. Okay. Two-thirds is buried under 5,000 years of sand that came after Joseph's time when the seven years of drought happened. Before that, Egypt was a fertile place. And when Joseph had the dream and there was the seven years of famine, the end of seven years of famine, there was absolutely no vegetation left. All right. That's when the sand came, the wind came from the east. So that's how it got buried. So this pyramid would have normally been very, very tall, probably close to 30 stories tall. Imagine a 30-story building. Yes. 5,000 years ago. So it was a huge undertaking, millions of stones in this thing. And so he built this tower in defiance to God. Now, here's what is significant. 
His name in the Hebrew is the name Nimrod. My, my. We know from the Bible that Nimrod was the builder of the Tower of Babel. That's right. So Tower of Babylon, Babel or Babylon. We know that Babel is where the languages were confused. And we use that word today means that people were babbled or confused. I think it also relates to the geographical area of Babylon. Yeah, that's good. Okay. Dr. Ron Charles says in his 90% is carries a lot of weight because of his learning. You know, he researches things before he ever says something like this. But he told me, he said, I'm about 90% sure you are looking at the remnant of the Tower of Babel. Oh, my. So if you can think at that point in Egypt, right there outside of Cairo, the whole world changed. Yes. We still are living in the aftermath, as you know, when you travel to other countries and we have to use interpreters. Yeah. And so the whole world changed right there in that spot. That's right. So the other significant thing, there was a number of significant things. Let me tell you about Joseph. I don't think I told you about Joseph. Joseph, okay, we read in the Bible, you know, he was carried away. He was in Potiphar's house. Potiphar's wife chases him around the bed. She wants to have sex with him, and he runs from her, and she tears off a piece of his clothing. And then he's put in prison by Potiphar, who is high up in Pharaoh's government. So the Egyptians, again, keep very detailed records. Joseph is a hero to this day in Egypt. Wow. Without them, every Egyptian would have been killed and wiped out during the drought. That's right. And the stuff that Joseph built are there that are architecturally absolutely amazing. If we have time, I'll get to and just tell you a brief summary of what he built that I saw. That event about Joseph running from Potiphar's wife, okay? In the Egyptian history, every year, Pharaoh chooses Isis. Isis was a physical woman, but when she consummated with Osiris— they believed that they became godlike. Yes. Okay. And they would be honored and worshiped. In other words, a spirit would come into them and they would be godlike, even though they were human beings. And they would be revered in Egypt's history from then on. Isis was the goddess of not fertility, but the goddess of all fertile crops. In other words, the harvest. Yes. She was the one that brought blessing upon the harvest for all of Egypt. And of course, in that day and time, everybody's pretty much farmers. If you can't get a crop, you die. Sure. That is very important. So they worship things like that. Pharaoh had the power and he would choose a woman to be Isis. And then Isis would choose who she wanted to be her Osiris or the man that she was going to mate with, okay? Yes. And once they consummated in the temple of Osiris, and that temple, for people that are listening, I'm sure people have seen the Sphinx and they've seen the Great Pyramids. They're all right there within a few hundred yards of each other. So just up the hill from the Sphinx, is the remnant of the temple of Osiris. Okay? okay. Sure. And there was an underground tunnel that went from that temple down to the Sphinx. So now what happened was Pharaoh in that particular year chose Potiphar's wife. She was a beautiful woman, chose Potiphar's wife to be Isis. 
Now, you would think that she would choose her husband, correct? Only one problem. Her husband was a eunuch. Wow. He could not consummate. He was a known eunuch because he was the overseer of Pharaoh's harem. Okay? Okay. So they always had a eunuch that was with the women. So Potiphar had his wife. Well, she could not choose her husband, Potiphar. And he was high up in the government. So who does she choose? But this slave boy that she's been around, and we know that Joseph was exceptional brilliance. He was a good-looking young man. He just had charisma about it because everything he did prospered, everything he put his hand to, and she was attracted to it. Yes. And she said, I'm going to choose Joseph to be my Osiris. And so she announced it to all of Egypt. Now, she thought, he's my slave. He won't have a choice. He'll have to. And not only that, but he will be revered in Egyptian history forever. And she never imagined that he would resist. Wow. Once she announced that, according to Egyptian rule, she had five days to consummate that union in the temple of Osiris. Now, Here's the kind of strange thing. The consummation had to happen, and the Pharaoh had to be aware of it. They don't know if he was actually physically there watching, but he had to sign off that the consummation happened. Once the consummation happened, then the crops for all of Egypt were automatically blessed by the gods, both Isis and Osiris, gods. So they were the human incarnate, if you will, of these gods. So she chooses him, comes home, and says, hey, this is the deal. And Joseph says, "Uh, no, I'm a Hebrew. We have one God, and I will not be a part of your gods. I want nothing to do with them. She began to fear for her life because if she did not produce a blessing for the crop, she would be executed. Yes, When she's chasing Joseph around and tears off part of his clothing, it's out of desperation. And so she takes the clothing to her husband and said, that slave boy refuses, and I have chased him, and I've torn off part of his clothes. So Potiphar realizes that his wife's about to be killed, and possibly himself, for not coming through on the deal. And certainly they're going to be hated by all of Egypt. Yes. So the only thing Potiphar could do was to say he refuses and to sort of file charges against him. Now, we tend to think he was put in prison because she accused him of trying to molest her. That's not the case, according to Egyptian history. He was put into prison because he would not comply to be Osiris. And even Pharaoh was mad. Pharaoh was upset. Wow. Because now all the crops are in jeopardy. We don't know from Egyptian history if they brought in an alternative or if they just had the crops that year not blessed. But anyway, it created quite a stir in Egypt, and the history is written about that. And, of course, we know then from every step of the way, he was moved closer to the palace or closer to where Pharaoh had rulership. And that's, you know, I teach that that's the making of a leader. He had a vision from God then was thrown in a pit, but then the Midianites grabbed him. And every step of the way, he was moved geographically closer to his destiny. Yes. 
And so that's how God does things. And what was meant for evil, God is always using it for good. That's the life of Joseph. Then let me just jump to Abraham, okay? Abraham went to Egypt, and we see this part in the Bible. And when he got there, the Bible mentions a king, but it was, he was actually Pharaoh and king. And Pharaoh sees Sarah, Abraham's wife, and said she was absolutely beautiful. Egyptian history records that she was literally the most beautiful woman in Egypt, greatly desired. When he sees her, he falls in love with her. Well, Abraham is fearful. He doesn't say to the Pharaoh that he's his wife because he feared Pharaoh would just kill him and then she's single and then the Pharaoh can have her. He says, she is my sister. We see that part in the Bible. What is not recorded in the Bible, and as Paul Harvey says, the rest of the story, Sarah was married to Pharaoh for four years. That shocked me when I found that out. Yes. You read the Bible, you think, oh, it was just a week or two. or But she was the queen of Egypt for four years. Now imagine the queen of Egypt, the most powerful nation on earth. She had hundreds and hundreds of servants at her beck and call. She had all the jewelry, all the luxury that Egypt could provide, and Pharaoh loved her. And she was married to Pharaoh for four years when suddenly Pharaoh became ill and died. So by Egyptian law, she gets handed off to Pharaoh's son. But God warns Pharaoh's son in a dream And he realizes a curse has come on his family. And so he questions her and said, what have you done? And she then admits that she's actually the wife of Abraham. He says, I don't want you as wife. I want you to get all your stuff and your people and get out of here. Now, let me back up to say that Abraham was, would have been the queen's brother. And because he was the queen's brother, highly revered by Pharaoh. It was typical that the family of the queen was highly blessed and given all kinds of things. In Egyptian histories recorded that Abraham was given all the land just beyond the pyramids, which is today the Sahara Desert. It was fertile and lush. When Abraham went there, it was a beautiful place. There was no desert. But he was given all that land all the way up to the border of Israel. That was like a dowry or a wedding present, so to speak, to the family. Abraham also, it's customary in Egyptian history. They all had multiple wives and things like that, that even in the Bible, David had many wives and concubines. So, But Abraham was required to have a political marriage. There were some civilizations that were very powerful. The Egyptians are short people. You can look at the mummies today. A man was about five foot four. Females were five foot two and under. Queen Nefertiti, I looked at her mummy. She was very tiny and very short. I forget now about, you know, four foot ten, something like that. Abraham, he had to do a political marriage to a woman from Nubia whose name is in the Bible. Well, when Sarah went back to him, she said, we got a problem. You've got another wife. And the only way I'm coming back to you is if she becomes my servant girl. Abraham agreed. 
that servant girl is known as Hagar in the Bible. And so when Sarah tells Abraham, I can't have children anymore, you sleep with my servant girl and she'll give birth on my lap. We all read that and said, wow, Abraham, Sarah was having him commit adultery. The truth is Abraham had been married to Hagar for four years already. It kind of gives you a different picture. All this is recorded in Egyptian history. And it gives you a whole different picture of what went on. But to think that she was queen of Egypt, it's amazing to me. She was no pauper. She was a powerful woman and left Egypt with hundreds of servants when she went with Abraham. So Abraham left Egypt even more wealthy than he came. God used Egypt to bless Abraham and to make him even more powerful and a greater nation than before. Now, ladies and gentlemen, you've been listening to the Warning Radio Program. Special guest, Pastor Joe Kirkwood from Amarillo, Texas. I'll tell you what, this information is fascinating, and I've got to continue with Joe. Next week, Joe, can you do it again? Yes, I'd be happy to. Okay, we're going to continue next week. Once again, you've been listening to the Warning Radio Program. Click on my website, www.worldministries.org, www.worldministries.org. Click on Eagles Saving Nation. Subscribe today. We've got to stop the tyranny, the toppling of the United States of America. The church has to rise up once again with the power of Pentecost. God bless you. I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to this episode of Warning Radio with Dr. Jonathan Hansen, founder and president of World Ministries International. Warning Radio is a listener-supported program. We need your donations in order to continue airing these Christ-centered prophetic programs. Send your checks or money orders to World Ministries International, Post Office Box 277, Stanwood, Washington, 98292. To donate securely by phone, call 360-629-5248. Visit our website to find other ways of giving and a wealth of information about World Ministries International and host Dr. Jonathan Hansen. The website is worldministries.org. There, you'll also have access to hundreds of previously aired radio programs, made-for-television videos, thousands of articles, Dr. Hansen's books, and travel itinerary. Again, the website is worldministries.org. The phone number is 360-629-5248. Tune in at this same time, Monday through Friday, on this radio station for the next exciting edition of Warning Radio with Dr. Jonathan Hansen. Remember, the Lord is not slow about the promise of His return, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for everyone to come to the repentance that leads to eternal life.